If revival starts with me and I am a forerunner for revival, what does that look like? Because another thing that I was thinking about as I was preparing for tonight is that the fruit of revival is also the seeds of revival. And what I mean by that is when we give ourselves to those things, worship and adoration, repentance, gifts, hunger, community, miracles, signs and wonders, helping others come to know Jesus and faith increase, those are like the seeds that start a revival and they're also the fruit of revival. And so what we wanna see God do in our city, what we wanna see God do in Resurgence comes when we give ourselves to these things. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages Podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out liveforsurgence.com. So I don't know about you guys, but um, when I was at Bible college, I was like quite fanatical about my faith. You could say, like, I was one of those people that when, when I was described, was like, oh yeah, he's passionate. He's out there. You know, he's, uh, he, he's the guy that's like always on his face worshiping or like right up front or like every altar call I would come forward. And that was kind of how I was in Bible college. And, and recently, God, I've been taking part in this leadership training program called Arrow Leadership, and it's just been amazing. And I, was, I had the privilege of being on an intensive a few weeks ago in Barnabas on Keats Island. Has anyone ever been on Keats Island or to the Sunshine Coast? It's absolutely incredible there, such a beautiful place. And, uh, and I was there with these incredible leaders from across Canada. And um, one of the mornings I was having a conversation with, with one of the other leaders. And we were kind of, we were just talking about our Bible college days. And, and I was basically having this conversation with him about how, like, what happened? <laughs> you know, like, we used to be so passionate. We used to be so on fire for God. But it just feels like, you know, all of the weight of having a family, having a mortgage, um, all of that has, has kind of in some ways taken that fire. And, 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 and it, was, it was this conversation that it wasn't super discouraging, but, but it was, we were just kind of facing the reality of how life had shifted and how our, our walk with God had shifted and maybe looked a little different. And, um, and we got talking about Revelations chapter, chapter 2 where uh, there's, Jesus is talking to the church in Ephesus. And what does he say to the church in Ephesus? He says you, he's inviting them to return to their first love. And uh, him and I were kind of talking about that and we were saying, what does it look like for us to return to our first love, to get back to that place of desire, back to that place of passion, back to that place of, of like everything in our life is for Christ. Everything we desire is for Christ. And, uh, and he mentioned uh, after Jesus invites the church to their first love, what does he say? He says, do the things you did at first. And so not only is this invitation to return to your first love, it's this invitation to, to do those things you did before. And, uh, and I thought about that, and I thought about how back when I was in Bible school, I had a literal closet in my room that was a prayer closet, and I would sit there for hours a day and just pray. Uh, I thought about how I went to every worship service that I could. I, I was really like, I, I kind of had structured my life around meeting with Jesus. And uh, another thing is that one of my expressions in worship when I was at Bible college was I would lie on my face. Like that was my favorite way to worship. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just too distracted by everything. But when I actually like lied on my face, God would always speak to me. And so we had this awesome worship time right after this conversation that I had with my friend. And, and I thought about that, do the things you did at first. And I'm like, well, this is kind of awkward, but I'm going to go lay on my face. And so I did that. I went and I laid on my face. And during that time... Um, the Father just spoke to my heart in such amazing ways. He said, I, 
Uh, he said, all of that passion, all of that fire, it's still in you. <laughs> he said, all the prayers you prayed back then, they're not in vain. I've, I haven't forgotten any of the prayers you prayed. I haven't forgotten any of the passions that I put on your heart. I haven't forgotten any of the dreams or the prophetic words that were spoken over you in that season. And then the, the amazing thing is at the end of that time with the Lord, I really felt like he was relighting the fire in me. And uh, I wish I could tell you that I came home from that weekend and everything's totally different. But the reality is, is actually since I've been home, things have been really challenging. There's been health challenges, finance challenges, all these things. But what I found is that um, this new fire, this new passion has really sought this desire to put Jesus back in that first place. And so maybe some of you feel like I did. Maybe some of you feel like you're stuck in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you feel like your desire or your passion for him has grown dormant. Or maybe you feel alone in your desire to see a move of God. Maybe you feel like God's put something on your heart and you're like, I don't know who else wants this. I don't know who else is running in this direction. Maybe some of you feel overwhelmed by the news you, you, you see on social media, by all the different stuff that, you, you know, you scroll your Instagram or your Twitter feed and you're like, all of that can discourage you and take, you know, maybe that makes you feel overwhelmed. Or maybe some of you uh, in this room, you want to see revival, you want to see God move in power, but you just don't know how. Today I'm talking about Revival. I'm talking about living a lifestyle of revival, of actually posturing ourselves in a way to receive the fire of God and live out of who God's called us to be so that we can see God transform not only our, our, our relationships, but transform our city. Um, one of the amazing things that, uh, or practices that, that God has invited me into in this season again, and it was actually at a uh, Todd White school that I was a part of a while back, um, is whenever I read my Bible, um, I try to read it with, with a prayerful posture. And one of the prayers that I pray when I'm reading my Bible is, do this in me. Do this in me. And so as I'm reading through the Bible, I, I'm, I'm seeing these stories of God doing these amazing things through everyday people. Do this in me. I'm seeing these invitations to, uh, to repentance, these invitations to turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. Do this in me. I'm, I'm hearing these psalms of David where, where he's saying, I hunger and thirst after God. Um, even in the midst of, of difficulty, do this in me. Because my big idea today is simple. It's that revival starts with me. We can have a dream for the city. We can have a dream for resurgence. We can have a dream for our church. But revival starts with me. I had this incredible uh, encounter with God about eight years ago. And uh, I'd been asked to lead something, and I was discerning whether or not God would have me do this thing. And um, I was worshiping at, at this time, and I felt like Jesus gave me this vision of, he was taking me up to the top of the Stantec Tower. They were just building it at the time. And uh, I've never been up there before. Has anyone been up to the top of the Stantec Tower? I've heard it's pretty extraordinary. You can see like forever from up there. But um, I'm in this vision, I'm just up there with Jesus, and uh, I feel like or, or Jesus gives me this key. And I say, what's this? And Jesus said, it's the key to the city. And I said, Lord, what do you mean by that? What is the key to the city? And I felt like Jesus said to me, what you want to see in the city, you, you need to see it in your family first, and then you'll see it in the city. 
I thought about that and I was like, man, it was actually really cool because that really confirmed what I was supposed to do in the season as I was discerning. But it also was a word that I think wasn't just for me, but it was for all of us. What we want to see God do in this city, are we seeing him do it in our houses? Are we seeing him do it in our places of work? Are we seeing him do it wherever we have that kind of authority or we have that place that we can go to regularly? Because revival starts with me. And so before we get too far into things, I wanted to take some time to define revival because it's one of those words that I think Christians use. And, uh, and I don't know, I was joking with my brother-in-law earlier. We're like, you go to a prayer meeting and there's more than five people. It's like full-blown revival has happened. Or like, you know, it's, we can kind of like use this word um, that actually has a lot of depth and a lot of meaning. Um, but when we really understand what revival is, I think it, it can do something in our hearts. And when we pursue it, in a way that's consistent with the Bible and consistent with what God's done throughout church history, we can believe that God's going to do pretty amazing things. And so the way that Resurgence likes to think about revival, the way that Travis has often talked about revival is Ezekiel 37. Um, It's this whole idea of the dead things coming to life. So Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament. And uh, in Ezekiel 37 goes, The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So revival is, is, it's when dead things come back to life. Revival is this whole idea of, of the dormant, the things that are asleep, the things that have been under the surface coming to life of awakening. The passage goes on to say, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and they had flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Revival is this whole idea of breathing life into the dead places, of God coming and awakening his people on a corporate level and on an individual level. It's this whole idea of things that were once dead being brought into life, of God doing what only he can do. We see another story of revival in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles. Um, It's a king named Josiah. Has anyone heard the story of Josiah? It's pretty amazing. And so Josiah, if you go through the Old Testament, kind of after Israel is set free from, uh, from Egypt, uh, the king, what happens is they have a lot of good kings, that, but they mostly have a lot of bad kings. And Josiah was one of the good kings. And so prior to Josiah being king, there was a lot of really bad kings, a lot of people that did not follow God, did not look to him, did not serve him. But uh, this is what the Bible says about Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Anyone imagine an eight-year-old being king? (laughs) My daughter's five, and that's like three years away. I'm like, I don't know if she could be the queen in three years. Um, 
Anyways, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved and metal images. I love that because Josiah, when he's still young, it says he began to seek the God of his father, David. That's where the revival started. It started when one man said, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to stop pursuing other things. I'm going to stop just going this way because that's what they did before. I'm going to seek God. And that's where revival started. And the crazy thing is, after he started seeking God, what's the first thing he did? He purged the land of everything that hindered uh, relationship with God. He purged the land of idols. He purged the land of, of temples that were to other gods. He purged the land of altars to other gods. He basically said, we're going to get rid of anything and everything that keeps us from knowing God. So revival started with seeking God, and it started with repentance, with turning away, with getting rid of everything else that keeps from the knowledge of God. You can go to the next slide. Um, So the the other amazing thing that happened is um, they didn't have the, uh, they didn't have the, the word of God at this time either. Like, they actually didn't have access to it. They didn't know where it was. And so, uh, if you see in verse 14, uh, we read, While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. So they were looking for money, and they found the law. They found their scriptures, and, uh, and, and this is what happened. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book of the law to Shaphan. He brought it and reported to the king. All that was committed to your servants, they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it to the hands of the overseers. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So Josiah, again, he had sought the Lord, and the Lord had, had put this, this uh, idea in his heart to get rid of all of the high places, but then they found the scriptures, and when it was read to Josiah, it says this, the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah, I can't say all these names, Ahakim, and the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me. And for those who are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and the king, whom he had sent out, um, <clears throat> excuse me, said to them, this is verse 23, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent me, Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, so this is to Josiah, thus says the Lord of Israel regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God. When you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants and have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And so 
this whole story is just amazing because Josiah seeks the Lord. He gets rid of all the idols. Then they find the Bible. They find the Old Testament, the, the books of the law, and they read through it, and they're like, we have not been doing a very good job at this. So they seek God, and God says, because you repented, because you tore your clothes, because you had this posture, this attitude of, of, of wanting what I want, I will, I'll spare you. And there was this revival in, in Jerusalem, and we see that the whole, the whole nation turns to God. Again, because one man sought God, because he repented, because he had that attitude. Um, we can't talk about revival without talking about Acts chapter 2. Um, so this is after Jesus has rose from the dead, right? His disciples, um, they've gathered to pray, and they're not sure what's going to happen next. They're not sure what, uh, what God's going to do. Jesus has left them. He's left them with a lot of promises, but he's left them. And then in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived and they were together in one place, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early believers and they received the gift of tongues. And then in verse 17, um, Peter comes up and addresses the crowd because everyone's really confused. What's happening to all these people right now? And Peter says this, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And so God had promised this pouring out of his spirit and here it was. And this revival shook and changed the entire world. Uh, when God poured out his spirit, these early believers were empowered with gifts. They were, they were united together in community. God did amazing things when they gathered. He also did amazing things when they weren't together. And uh, I just want, want to quickly draw your attention to one specific revival uh, that happened in, in the church of Philippi, where uh, Paul, Paul and Silas go into Philippi. And, um, and basically what ends up happening is Paul meets this girl who's demon-possessed. And uh, he sets her free from this demon. And what happens to Paul? He gets thrown in prison. And the reason why he gets thrown in prison was because there were people that were making money off of that demon-possessed girl because they were using her as a fortune teller, right? But then what, what ends up happening is Paul and Silas get set free from prison. God sets them free. The jailer becomes a Christian. And uh, we actually read about multiple people in that town coming to know Jesus. Multiple people in that town giving their lives to Jesus. So much so that it actually disrupted the economy of the town. <laughs> like, there was riots in the town because the people that were doing the fortune telling and the ways that the town was making money that weren't of God was actually no longer making money because people had a real encounter with God and it changed the culture. But what I wanted to draw your attention to is uh, in Acts chapter 17. It's just this amazing amazing single verse, Acts 17, verse 6. Um, basically what happens is Paul and Silas go from Philippi and they start going to other towns. And um, this is what is said of them. These men who have turned the world upside down have also come here. These men who have turned the world upside down have also come here. That's revival. Their, their reputation was such that wherever they would go from that point on, these were the men that turned the world upside down. That's revival. 
It's this crazy uh, reality of God doing something that only he can do. And uh, we see this in, um, in history as well. Um, there's a, I've, I've actually taken some time just to research some of the historical revivals just to help stir up faith and to help give us an understanding of what God's done in the past because I believe that he's going to do even more in the days to come. So there's a man named Charles Finney in the early 1800s who was a preacher. And uh, when he was filled with the Spirit, his testimony goes, he had waves of, wit, of liquid love wash over him for hours. God gripped him and the Lord used him to bring tangible, regional spirits of conviction. So wherever he would go, Charles Finney would see multiple people convicted of their sin and coming to know Jesus. There's a story that Charles Finney would be on a boat that would stop in a city for 30 minutes. And during that 30 minutes, people would get saved because they would come to the boat and he would preach. Like that's how he, that's what he carried. In an eight-week period, they say he saw 50,000 new converts. (laughs) Amazing. His intercessor was a man named Daniel Nash. He had an illness of his eyes, and during the season, he gave himself to the ministry of intercession and prayer. After that, for seven years, they understood that they needed to win the battle in the heavenlies before Finney would come to a city. So they would labor for two to three weeks in a city before he would come. Father Nash was a hidden intercessor who understood the power of intercession and how intercession and evangelism go together. And six months after Father Nash died, Finney's ministry ended. Just a crazy story. There was this revival in the early 1900s called the Welsh Revival. And um, what's said of this revival is um, somebody who is a historian wrote, I say to you today, beloved, without any hesitation that this whole thing is of God that it is a a visitation in which he is making men conscious of himself without any human agency. Um, So the principal human agent used in the Welsh revival was Evan Roberts. He was born on June 8, 1878 and died in 1951. He began working in the coal mines when he was 12, but soon he felt the call to ministry. His encounter with God when praying beside his bed He was taken up into a great expanse without time and space. It was communion with God. After that, he was awakened every night after one o'clock. From that hour, he was taken up for four hours. And so um, what ended up happening is is this young man, Evan Roberts, um, and and he saw God do amazing things in Wales. Um, Somebody said, if it be asked why the fire of God fell on Wales, the answer is simple. Fire falls where it is likely to catch and spread. As one has said, Wales provided the necessary tinder. Here were thousands of believers unknown to each other in small towns and villages and great cities crying to God day after day for his fire to fall. This was not merely a little talk with Jesus, but daily agonizing intercession. There are stories about how Evan Roberts would show up at a meeting and he wouldn't even speak. He would just come to the front and he would sit in the front and they would wait on God. And he said that they would just gather and wait, and then all of a sudden the power of God would fall, and he would start ministering, and people would get saved. Amazing things would happen. They estimate that 70,000 people came to faith in Christ in the first two months. Another feature of this revival was the overwhelming sense of God's presence. One pastor said, if one were to ask to describe one outstanding feature of those days, it would be that it was the universal, inescapable presence of God. People couldn't sleep or stay away from the meetings. No wonder they carried on until two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, 
Evan Roberts' prayer, one of the prayers he's famous for is, bend me to your will. Bend me to your will. What an amazing prayer to pray. An editor of a magazine who came to check out the revival um, in a city asked the young man where the revival was taking place. It said that the young man said to him, go to the end of the street, turn left, and you will feel it. <laughs> amazing. After the revival, the next census that was taken in Wales, 100% of the nation said they were Christian. Amazing. <laughs> Another revival we see in the early 1900s is Azusa Street. Frank Bartleman was one of the key leaders in the Azusa Street revival. At his daughter's funeral, Bartleman said, I fully resigned myself to see revival in Los Angeles. During that time, he had a growing spirit of intercession. He would be in travail, which is like a groaning prayer, like, God, come, like, oh, I need you, God, like that sort of prayer for 24 hours a day. He would forget to eat and sleep. He had a growing sense that something was coming, and on April 9th, 1906, the Azusa Street Revival started. One of the main catalysts of this revival, William Seymour, would pray five hours a day asking the Lord what to do. And when the Lord said, or when he asked the Lord what to do next, the Lord said, up it to seven hours a day. <laughs> Azusa Street started at a house church in an abandoned barn. Um, William Seymour was a one-eyed African-American man in the midst of mid-crow who God used in incredible ways. People would be three blocks away and have to pray for strength to make it to the building because the presence of God was so real. People called the fire department because the fire of God was so evident. Seymour would speak to limbs and they would grow. He led the meeting by putting his head in an apple crate because he didn't want the meeting to be about him. <laughs> so he would put like a box on his head so that people couldn't even see his head. It's crazy. Revival was hallmarked by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, and racial dividing walls being torn down. The color line was washed away by the blood of Jesus. And um, amazingly, they can now trace 200 million believers back to the Azusa Street Revival, which is incredible. Um, there's a few more that, that I researched, but one that Travis often talks about, you can put the picture up on the screen. Uh, there was a vi revival in uh, the one before. Yes. Anyone know where that is? That's in Edmonton. <laughs> in Edmonton in 1923, Travis talks about this revival by a man named, or Charles S. Price. Um, this was a campaign. He had 12,000 people in attendance at this revival meeting. And it said that people climbed on the roof to find a way in. And when they couldn't, they would break the windows and throw money down to pay for the damage so that they could hear him teach and see him minister. Revivals happen here. It's happened here at Edmonton and it's going to happen again. And we, we've all, I'm sure we've all heard of the revival that happened recently in Asbury, at Asbury Seminary, right? What's so amazing about that revival, it was a revival, it was a revival primarily of Gen Z, like younger people, um, who, who uh, a lot of times, I think it's easy to kind of say, what, what, what is God doing in the midst of Gen Z? But the reality is he's doing amazing things. And I believe that that generation is going to be absolute catalysts. And uh, they're going to be the ones that carry a lot of what happens in the next move of God. And so what is revival? How do we define revival? Um, Father Nash, the guy that was Charles Finney's intercessor, he said, revival is a definite work of God's spirit. It is when believers experience wonderful transformation with fervent love for God's word, an earnest desire to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to everyone. 
Revival comes when God's spirit moves suddenly and deeply upon his people, bringing them to repentance, creating in them a hunger for more of God's word and renewing them from the inside out. So I think there's two types of revival that we've seen in both of these scriptural stories and also in, uh, in this, this story. And those, that's corporate revival and that's individual revival. Personal revival and corporate revival. So we see God do a work in somebody's heart or a small group of people's hearts and they start to pray. They start to come together and say, God, do something. Do something that we can't do on our own. Move in our city, move in our region, move in our nation. And, and they not only give themselves to prayer, they, they give themselves to God's word. They give themselves to repentance. They give themselves to, to this place of, of, of completely yielding themselves to him. And then God does something corporately where, where um, multiple people come to know Jesus, where, uh, where, where people are healed, people are saved, people are set free. It's like a whole region is changed, right? We saw that in each one of those stories. And, um, and I want to I submit tonight that I think the personal revival and corporate revival are tied together. Um, personal revival and corporate revival kind of feed in to one another. I think the personal feeds into the corporate, the corporate feeds in to the personal. And so when we choose to say, I want to be a person who is living into revival, no matter what I'm feeling, I want to be a person who's going after God, I want to be a person who's hungering and thirsting after him, where his presence is the only thing that's going to satisfy me, where when we take that foundation, when we take that posture, all of a sudden when, when a bunch of people have that desire get together, then it starts to happen corporately. And then what we experience corporately feeds into our individual Revival. Um, I've tried to come up with a definition of revival, and it's always changing, but, but kind of right now, how I see it is revival is a sovereign work of God's spirit that produces a deep hunger for the person, empowerment, and leadership of God, accompanied by tangible signs and life transformation on a corporate and individual level that is initiated by God as a response to God's people's invitation through their prayers and repentance. I know that's a lot of words. But basically this whole idea that revival is both a sovereign work of God and it's a response to the people's invitation. God comes where he's wanted. Fire burns where it's dry. <laughs> like fire is going to go where it can burn. We, we've seen this in our province, sadly. Um, but when we come before God and when we say, God, I want you, God, I want you to move, he's going to do something amazing in our midst. And so what is the fruit of true revival? Uh, again, through all of these stories and uh, through, through what I'm seeing in God's word, the fruit of true revival is worship and adoration. Jesus becomes the most important person. He becomes the only person that we really want to go after. Worship and adoration. Another fruit of revival, and again, I believe a predecessor of revival is repentance. When, when God is moving in revival, when there's incredible things happening corporately, People repent. And repentance is, is all it is, is turning away from things that keep us from God and turning towards him. Repentance is to turn. And so repentance is another fruit of revival. Uh, spiritual gifts is another one. Um, people operating in, in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, hunger and passion for Jesus is another fruit of revival where you just see this hunger. Like that's one of the things I loved about those stories that I told you. There's this amazing hunger for God. Uh, community is another fruit of revival where people feel like they're a part of something. They, they're together. They are, are, are with others who are running in that same direction. 
Another thing we see in revivals is miracle signs and wonders. We see these incredible things that only God can do. And, and the amazing thing about the miracles is they're not an end in and of themselves. The miracles and the signs are to point people to Jesus. It's to help build faith. It's to help people know that God is real and that he moves in response to his people's invitation. Uh, another uh, sign of revival or fruit of revival is salvation. People coming to know Jesus for the first time. Salvation is a fruit of revival where, where people who've never even heard the name of Jesus before are gripped in their hearts and want to grow and, and know this God, know this one who is real, who is alive. Uh, another fruit of true revival is faith is increased. People get to this place of, uh, of really believing this book is real, this God is real, not just an idea, not just a concept. And so the question that I want to consider tonight is how do we start to live into all of these things now? If revival starts with me and I am a forerunner for revival, what does that look like? Because another thing that I was thinking about as I was preparing for tonight is that the fruit of revival is also the seeds of revival. And what I mean by that is when we give ourselves to those things that I just talked about, worship and adoration, repentance, gifts, hunger, community, miracle signs and wonders, helping others come to know Jesus and faith increase, those are like the seeds that start a revival and they're also the fruit of revival. And so what we want to see God do in our city, what we want to see God do in resurgence comes when we give ourselves to these things. And so how do we live this lifestyle of continual revival? Uh, kind of where I want to land today is in the book of Colossians because there's this amazing prayer in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul's praying for the church in Colossians. And, and, and understanding this church is really important to understanding this prayer because you could probably say that they were in revival. This, this church in Colossae was in revival. They were seeing people come to know Jesus. They were seeing God do amazing things in their presence, in, in their midst. And um, the other thing that was going on for these believers is that they, um, they were in a culture that was very, um, there's there a lot of false teaching, right? There's a lot of things that were trying to pull away the believers from the truth of God's word. Right? And in a lot of ways, then it sounds like kind of us in our culture right now. And so Paul prays this amazing prayer over the people of Colossae. And I believe there's a lot of keys for how we live out continual revival in this prayer. And so from Colossians chapter 1. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I just want to sit there for a second because Paul understood that revival is started by and revival is, 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 um, is sustained by prayer. Prayer is so essential, you guys. It's not even like, it's not, we can't even get anywhere we want to get without prayer. If we want to see God do an amazing move in this city, we have to give ourselves to prayer. And that's personal prayer in your secret place with God. That's personal prayer in, in quiet time with him every day. That's also corporate prayer where we come together and we contend together for God to do amazing things in this city. One of the reasons why I'm so convinced that God has incredible things for the city of Edmonton is because Edmonton has a house of prayer. There's a group of believers that have been praying from 9 a.m. till noon or 10 a.m. till noon for the last like 20 years almost. Is it 20 years now? 20 years. They've been praying every morning for revival in Edmonton. <laughs> That's why I believe that this is like kindling. Like there's kindling. God's just waiting for a spark. And I think in a lot of ways, resurgence in, in the communities that we're a part of, there's going to be a spark and God's going to do something. Prayer is imperative to revival. But what does Paul pray for 
the church. Colossians 1.9 goes on to say, um, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, so I want to park there for a second. Paul prays for this church that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, now what's amazing about this is um, knowledge, there's two different words in the Greek that were used for knowledge. The first word was gnosis. Gnosis is like a head knowledge. It's like an understanding. It's like uh, you can recite a Bible verse. That's kind of gnosis. Like it's this whole idea of I know it in my head. Uh, the other word for knowledge is epignosis, and that's like an experienced knowledge. It's like knowing somebody as they are, not just knowing about them. You know, like I, I'll often say, like, I know a lot about Connor McDavid, but I don't know Connor McDavid. Um, and so there's this difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. There's this difference between having a knowledge of somebody and knowing somebody. And so Paul prays for this church that he wants to see revival in, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would be filled with an experiential knowledge of God. That's where it starts. <laughs> it starts with prayer and it starts with knowing God. It starts with knowing God as he is. How do we know God? We know him through his word. We know him through, um, through, through being with other believers. We know him through revelation of his Holy Spirit. Uh, and we know him through encounter. Because encounter with God changes everything. Travis talked about encounter last month. So if you want to listen to uh, his sermon, it's on our podcast. Um, but I encourage you to, to listen to that because he goes into like why encounter is so important. And he kind of goes into three different Bible stories and how they encountered God and it changed their lives. Um, but uh, there's a lot of things that, I don't know about you, but there's been things in my life that I've struggled with a lot or had difficulty with. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't seem to shake it. You know, I'd try different things. I'd try this, I'd try that, and nothing would change. Um, but I, one of those things for me was that I used to live with so much false guilt and false responsibility. And I would carry this um, shame about myself almost all the time, everywhere I went. And uh, I was at my first intensive with Arrow where I had this amazing encounter with God. And the funny thing is, it wasn't like in a worship service, it was in a classroom. And the guy's up there like teaching and he's teaching on something called the cycle of guilt versus the cycle of grace. And the cycle of guilt is that you, earn, you try to earn God's love by what you do. And then the cycle of grace is because you know you're loved. You do, you operate out of that and it feeds back in the love. And so he's teaching on this and it's a really cool thing, but I've seen it before. So I knew it in my head, but for whatever reason that day, God wanted to take it to my heart. So I'm literally sitting in class and I started like feeling the weight of God on me. And I started falling out of my chair. Like literally, I was like, I'm falling out of my chair. What am I gonna do? What's God gonna do? And, um, and I actually had to like get up and move to the back of the room because I, it would have been inappropriate to, to like fall out of my chair in class. But um, at the back of the room, I just, I just said, God, what do you wanna do in me right now? And he just kinda, it, it's hard to explain, but I just felt his love pour out over me. I just felt him say like, this is true. This grace is true. This grace is the place that you live in. This grace is what I have for you. This is where I want you to live. And, and the amazing thing is that that encounter with God, it did away with a lot of shame that I was carrying. It did away with a lot of guilt that I was carrying. And I had tried over and over again to like figure out why I struggled with guilt. I had tried, I'd gone to counseling. I tried to check off all the boxes, right? Like, why do I struggle with guilt? I don't understand. But then I had this encounter with God. 
and it changed everything. We know God through encountering him. We know God through, and again, it, it all comes back to his word. It, it has to be in line with what his word says about who he is. But that's one of the things I love about resurgence is we're constantly saying we want God to encounter us. We want God to transform us. And so what knowledge of God is Paul praying for? He's praying for the knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of God's will. This means that we don't just know about God. We don't just know what, you know, like a few things about him. We actually know what he desires. Somebody's will is what they desire. And so to know God's will is to know his plans, to know his heart, to know what moves him. Andrew Murray says, uh, why is it that people do not know God? They take anything rather than God. Ministers, preaching, books, prayers, work, effort, any exertion of human nature instead of waiting and waiting for God to reveal himself. In our Christian life, in our daily prayers, in our Christian living, in our churches, in our prayer meetings, in our fellowship, it must come to the point where God always has the first place. If that is given him, he will take possession. Do we want to know God? Do we want to know his will? Do you know what God desires? The next part of uh, the prayer, it's incredible, verse 10. So Paul has just prayed that you would know God and knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. And then he, he goes on to pray, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I want to camp there for a second. Um, this, this idea of so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Basically, what Paul's saying or, or how he's praying is he's, everything that he's prayed before is what's going to produce what's being prayed after. And so Paul's saying that what's going to help you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It's the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will. Because when you have that, you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we see that at the end of verse 9, too. It's the spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that understanding of God. And that's what enables us to be worthy of the Lord. Um, that whole idea of being worthy of the Lord is basically like wherever we go, um, we represent him. Wherever we go, we represent him. People see us and they know that we're believers and we represent who God is. So to say we're worthy of the Lord means that we're representing him in a way that's consistent with who he is. The other thing that I love about this so that is it, it reminds us that when we have an encounter with God, it should change the way that we live our life. It should transform our character. If we're not leaving these gatherings, if we're not leaving these times, um, if we're leaving them the same people as we were when we came up, what was the point? Because when we're encountered by the love of God, something should change in us, something should shift in us. So the next part of the prayer Paul starts to, to pray for fruitful impact. Uh, we see this at the second half of verse 10. So he says, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, please him in every way. The next part of the prayer, bearing fruit in every good work. And so again, it's the, it's the knowledge of God that enables us to bear fruit. It's the knowledge of God that enables us to live a life where we see transformation happening around us. Right? Fruit, what's amazing about the image of fruit is that fruit is not about striving. You can't strive to produce fruit. How do you produce fruit? You produce fruit by putting a tree or putting a plant in the right conditions. 
And so our lives produce fruit when we live in light of the knowledge of God, when we let God and, and knowing him and pursuing him form us and change us. That's how our life produces fruit. The other thing about fruit is that when we're seeing fruitfulness, we know that we're not in vain. What we're doing is not in vain because we're seeing fruit produced in our life. We're seeing good things happen because we're living in revival. And then Paul has to like nail, he has to like, he hasn't been clear. He's been pretty clear already, but look at how he ends this verse. Increasing in the knowledge of God. He's got to say it again. (laughs) N.T. Wright says that this isn't a circular argument, but it's a spiral one. Understanding of God will fuel holiness while holiness deepens our understanding of God. And so we start with the knowledge of God. It transforms the way we live our life. And that actually fuels our knowledge of God even more. The final thing that Paul prays for in this passage is that they would be strengthened with power. And I like to think of this as kind of like a continuous revival. In verse 11, Paul prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So we are strengthened with the power of God. When we live in this place of, uh, of internal revival, it brings us to, to perseverance. It brings us to endurance. It brings us to patience. And it brings us to joy. That even in the midst of difficulties that we might face, even in the midst of troubles that we might go through, we can have joy, endurance, and patience. So Paul is talking about a, a few different types of strength, of uh, strengthening. The first is the strengthening of our inner man. Our souls being strengthened in the same way that you'd strengthen your body through rigorous exercise. So this is like the power of God coming in and literally like strengthening you with perseverance. This is like when you're living in revival, when you're living in that place of being in his presence, he's coming and he's revealing himself to you and he's strengthening you on the inside. Um, It's also a strengthening to do that which we cannot do ourselves. This whole idea of, you hear about these stories that, that I read earlier like, these are, these are men. These are men and women. Um, many of them or, just ordinary people. But the stuff that God did through them was extraordinary because they were strengthened with power by God. The creator of the universe dwells inside of us, you guys. The creator of the universe wants to strengthen us with power. That's the invitation that he's giving us today. Um, Leonard Ravenhill, who's written a few amazing books, on revival, he says this, the world is not waiting for a new definition of the gospel, but for a new demonstration of the power of the gospel. In these days of acute political helplessness, moral lawlessness, and spiritual helplessness, where are men and women not of doctrine, but of faith? The world needs a demonstration of the power of the gospel. The fact that it's not just an idea, it's a reality that transforms and moves each one of us. And the amazing thing is he is the one that strengthens us and he strengthens us out of his glorious might. And so my question tonight is where do we go for strengthening? When we're feeling defeated, when we're feeling like we're at the end of our rope, where do we go to receive that strength, to receive that power? Do we go to the one who is beyond any, he, he has more than we could ever ask or imagine and he longs to give it to us. Do we go to him? If we want to live in a place of continuous revival, we need to go to God for strengthening. And um, where I want to end tonight is we, we, want to, 
where do we go for strengthening? How does God strengthen us? I want to kind of say that he strengthens us through fire. He strengthens us through fire. One of my friends, uh, his name is Hogan. He's a bladesmith. He works for InterVarsity, but uh, his hobby is he makes swords and shields and stuff like that. Um, he's a pretty cool dude. But, um, and, and as I was preparing the sermon and thinking about kind of the fire of God, um, I just did a bit of research on bladesmithing. And um, what I found is that metal hardens when it cools after being exposed to intense heat. But while it is in the fire, it can be formed. This is what God does in us through the fire. And so when we talk about revival, when we talk about the fire of God, it's this whole idea of this passion, this burning on the inside of us, saying, God, form me to your will. Form me to your image. I don't want to be caught up in anything less than what you would have for me, God. I want your fire. I want you to come and do what only you can do in my life. I want you to do what you did in the church in Colossae, filling me with the knowledge of God, helping me live a life of impact, strengthening me on the inside. The fire of God is what forms us. It's it's what burns away anything in us that hinders the love of God in us. And where do we receive that fire? Where do we come for that fire? I believe it happens, again, when we ask for it. It comes as we say, God, I want that. I need that. I need you to come and, and do what only you can do in me. I need that. I need it for myself. I need it for my community. I need it for my family. I need your fire, God. I need that passion again. I need that love again. Um, one of the um, stories that has been really, or one of the interesting things in my life that God's been speaking to me through is uh, the apple tree that's in my backyard. And uh, this makes sense. I'll, it'll make sense, I promise. And worship band, you guys can come up and play a little bit behind me if you'd like. Um, this apple tree in my backyard. So we discovered really quickly after moving into our house that this tree is dying. So there's ants that have made their uh, home in this tree. And no matter what we've done, there's nothing that we've been able to do. We've, it was also not pruned properly, we learned. Like the previous owners didn't prune it. And so it was way taller than it was supposed to be and all these things. But anyways, this tree is dying. And, um, and so what, uh, what ended up happening is one of the trees got a big crack in the branches. And, um, but it still was up there. It was still hanging. And I just kind of left it there. And then all of a sudden, what happened is it's, it started producing fruit. Just like the whole rest of the tree, this one branch that had a crack in it was producing fruit. And I was like, this is interesting. And then what happened is as the apples grew and as the, uh, as the tree kind of kept growing and the apples got bigger and bigger, one day I went outside and the, the branch had completely cracked. The one that had a small crack had just completely cracked and the branch was now no longer on the tree. And the Lord actually spoke to me through that saying like, if you're not in a healthy place with me, if you're not in a place of internal revival, like if you're not in a place of health with me, then the fruit of your life can actually cause you to break because you need to be connected to me. You need to be close to me in relationship. And, uh, and then recently this year, as, uh, as spring sprung, finally, uh, we noticed one of the branches completely dead. Like there's nothing, no, no apples, no flowers, absolutely nothing. It's like black. The rest of the tree is, uh, is still bearing fruit somehow. But, um, 
as I was having this encounter with God that I told you guys about at the beginning where, where I was, um, God was reminding me of the passion of my youth and the fire that I used to have. I was like, Lord, you've been speaking to me a lot through this tree. What do you want to say about this dead branch? <laughs> like, and the Lord said to me, it's the dead branches that you put in the fire. It's that place of giving to me all of the, all the stuff inside of you that's, that's hindering you or that's dead inside of you. I want to come and I want to burn that away because I want to refine you. I want to draw you to a place of love, a place of passion, a place of desire again. I want to invite uh, you guys to stand. Because tonight my, my invitation is, um, is to, to give yourself to that place of personal revival. To say, I want to be, I, I believe the revival starts with me. What I want to see God do in the city, it's going to start with me. It's going to start in my own heart. It's going to start in my, my quiet place with Jesus where no one else is looking. When, 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 when it feels like a waste of time, that's where revival is going to start. And so there's a few different invitations that, that I have for you tonight. Um, the first is, I feel like God's calling some of you to commit to prayer again. To commit to prayer. Um, some of you, uh, maybe it's like finding the time. Maybe it's, I, I, I've had a desire to pray, but I, wanna, I want to um, make that time for real. I feel like that's the first invitation. I have a slide with all of these, I think. Um, so if, that, if that's something you wanna grow in in prayer, I'm gonna invite you to come forward in a bit. Uh, another invitation that I have for you tonight is repentance. Uh, maybe there's some of you in this room who feel like there's a, either like a sin that you've been living with that you need to, to repent from, or maybe there's something in your life that, that you know you've been running after, but you need to turn away and turn towards Christ. If you, if you want to repent tonight as your act of saying, God, light a fire in me again, then again, you can come forward and pray that. Uh, the next thing that, that I want to invite us to is knowing God, knowing his word. Um, that, that whole idea of God, I want to know you more than anything else in this life. I want to know your love. I want to know your power. I want to know your goodness. I want to know who you are. Because when we know God as he is, it transforms us on the inside. So knowing God is another invitation that I have for you. The next invitation is to receive his strength. Maybe some of you are feeling weak, burdened. Some of you are feeling overwhelmed. Uh, some of you are feeling... Um, like, like you don't know where to go. Receive his strength. Receive his power today. Come into his presence and receive all that he has for you. And the final thing is receiving his fire. I believe there's some of you today that, that you've, you, maybe you just want to get back to that place of burning passion for God. <laughs> you, you want to get back to that place of like, I need to know you, God. I need to have that passion for you again. I need to have that burning for you again. Uh, one of the uh, revivalists that I didn't mention earlier, but one who's made a huge impact is a guy named Charles Wesley. And he's famous for saying revival for him was about, I light myself on fire so that other people come to watch me burn. <laughs> it's this whole idea that, that when we receive and live out the fire of God, the people around us um, grow. The people around us see something different in us. And the other amazing thing about fire is how long does one solitary branch burn for? Not very long, right? If you want to break up a fire, you just kind of scatter all of the pieces that are inflamed, right? And then it just dies. 
But when you put all those pieces together, that's where the, the fire forms and grows. And so my invitation again tonight for those that, that want to receive his fire is that, that we would be knit together as community here at Resurgence. That we'd be people who are burning, who are burning for God, who are passionate about God and who are helping the fire stay with one another. Who are actually like kindling the fire in one another. And so tonight, if, that's, if you want to do any of those things, if you want to grow in prayer, if you want to know God, if you want to repent, if you want to know his word, receive his fire, receive his power, I'm just going to invite you to come forward. We're going to worship and, and we're going to actually ask God to set a fire in us again. And, um, and so I just want to invite you, if that's you, just to, just to come forward. And I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a few songs. But um, let's not let, let's not miss out on what God might want to do in us today. Because I believe he wants to encounter our hearts. And so, yeah, Jesus, I just thank you so much for what you're inviting us into, God. And, and this word that you put on my heart, this revival starts with me. God, I believe you want to do something profound in our, in our region. You want to do something profound in our nation. But God, you want to do that in us first, God. I think of, um, of all these people that we read about today, all these different these characters, both in, in your Bible, but also in history, God, who gave themselves to that pursuit of you, that longing for you, God, who gave themselves to prayer, who gave themselves to your word, who gave themselves to, to uh, being empowered by your Holy Spirit, God. I just pray that we would be of that same posture, we would be of that same mind, God, that, that our desire, that our hearts would be to know you in deeper ways, God. And so, Lord, I just pray for each person here, Jesus, that you would encounter each person here tonight, God, and relight the fire. I really do sense, God, there's some people in this room that, that, that really, maybe it was like a YWAM or a DTS they did however long ago, and they had this, like, burning passion for you, God. Relight that fire. Lord, whatever stuffed it out, whatever has caused it to dwindle, God, relight it tonight in Jesus' name. God, I'm really, I'm sensing there's some people that have had their fire go out just because of hopelessness, because they've been so just distraught. Maybe it's through prayers they've prayed over and over again they haven't seen answered. God, relight the fire of faith in them in Jesus' name. Help them find their strength and their life and their power and their uh, passion in you again. And I'm just sensing too, like people in this room who just kind of drifted based on like stage of life, like just got busy or just got priorities mixed up. God, I just pray that you would relight the fire and I, and I even repent that that can be my attitude, Jesus. So God, I just pray you relight the fire in me, relight the fire in us, God, that we would know your love, that we would have a passion and desire for it in Jesus' name. And God, I just, I just want to pray, do, do again what you have already done, Lord God. I, I, I read about these revivals of old, but I'm not satisfied with just reading about them. I'm not satisfied with hearing about the Welsh revival, with hearing about Azusa and saying that happened 100 years ago. I'm not satisfied about hearing about Asbury and saying it's just happened in Kentucky. It's not going to happen. I'm not satisfied with that, God. Do it here. Do it in us, Lord God. Send your revival fire in this city, God. Send your revival fire in this region, God. Pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus that we would receive and know the fire of God again. Do that in us, God. Do it in us first and then do it in our region, Lord. We're believing for bigger things, bigger things, God. We're believing for greater things. And so do it in us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. 
we hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.